Everything technology, from computers to mobile phones, TVs and the internet. Information you want, want. all the help you need. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. Well, hello, welcome to episode number not written on my sheet. <laughs> I have a book. It's going to be 369 today. 369 because the page before says 368. 369. See, preparation's everything in this game. And uh, I've, when you're preparing to fail, is failure... No, failure to prepare is... Pre- oh, I don't know. It's just not good. <laughs> but I do have... A lot to get through. Um, I don't know. I've lost count. Uh, three or four calls to get through on everything from domain names to Wi-Fi security, roaming, and uh, your home security. Plus, we're going to talk to Tim Falinski from sponsors Trend Micro about ransomware. And I think a, a constant and important reminder about the genuine risk that ransomware f- places upon you and your business and your personal photos at home. So whatever it is in, on your computer, it's at risk because of ransomware plus i want to talk nbn and i've got to be honest i've had a bit of a revelation over the last week epiphany whatever you want to call them that is a realization of what exactly is wrong with most people's nbn and it's it's not the nbn it's the telco and there is one telco that is going out of their way to change that and create something much better for users and i'm going to talk to the boss of that telco very soon And on that very note, when it comes to the NBN, if you have the NBN, an opportunity for you to do something for your country, okay, you can be part of something good. You can be part of the ACCC's broadband monitoring program. So they're checking the internet speeds. They're checking whether the NBN is consistent. They're checking whether the telcos are consistent. And I will speak to Rod Sims, the chairman of the ACCC, about that. But if you have the NBN connected at home, I want you to listen to that because it is your opportunity to help. It is your opportunity to get involved. Uh, get involved with how uh, the rest of the country and you can find out how good and bad different telcos are. So there will be no chit chat tonight, today, this morning. It's actually afternoon when I'm recording. Um, all the news of the week is in Two Blokes Talking Tech last week, this week, coming up. And, uh, uh, I just figured we'd skip all that and get straight into the, the hefty stuff, which is helping you with your problems. If you've got a tech problem, uh, go to the website, eftm.com.au. Send me an email. Try and help you out as quickly and as best I can. Um, would appreciate your ratings and reviews on iTunes. If you can pop over to iTunes, uh, your earliest convenience, to leave a star rating and a review. Happy to give shout-outs. Thank you to Rob, who has discovered that you can leave a second review. So thank you, and uh, I encourage you all to revisit the iTunes store and do just that very same thing. Um, so I appreciate your views, and as I've said before, I appreciate you tuning into and subscribing to Talking Technology as well. My nightly radio show on Talking Lifestyle Sydney, Melbourne, and Brisbane is available as a podcast, um, and uh, you can just search for Talking Technology. Trevor Long, you'll find two versions of it, just the interviews or the whole show Um And once again, appreciate your reviews and ratings of that one as well. But as for this show, let's get cracking. Lots to get through. We'll get to your calls and interviews straight after this. It might sound crazy what I'm about to say. But Trevor Long's the world's best techie. He's the kind of guy we picked on. 
G'day, Andrew. G'day, Trevor. What can I do for you, mate? Um, I travel a bit for work, and I'm just wondering from a security point of view, you know, quite often uh, free Wi-Fi and hotel Wi-Fi isn't secure, and I'm yep. just after a way to uh, lock that down for either, you know, any of my devices, my work laptop, mobile phone, uh, tablet, yep. um, and was just wondering uh, what the best way to do that is, whether it was a VPN or something other than that. Two issues or two two uh, simple solutions. Um, the first one is hardware. So um, I used to have a thing called a Netgear travel router, which you plugged into the wall and then you plugged Ethernet from the hotel room into that. Uh, and basically then you'd have your own Wi-Fi network in your room, which means because cool. really the security about hotel Wi-Fi isn't the connection from the hotel to the internet. It's the fact that you're on the same Wi-Fi network as other random people. And that means that they can look theoretically at what's happening on that network. So that's a good solution. Um, the new uh, Netgear Nighthawk M1, the little square mobile hotspot, which uh, is being sold, I think, direct, but also through Telstra here. A, great router for home when you're traveling around just the country, the state. Um, but then when you go to a hotel, it's got an Ethernet port where you plug the cable into the hotel internet and bingo, you're just using the same hot Wi-Fi name that you always use when you're traveling around Australia as well. So that's pretty cool. But secondly, uh, what VPN, easy solution uh, is to install VPN. But remember, VPN is just a bit harder to do on a mobile device, for example. So you might want to limit your, you know, important transactions uh, and private conversations slash, you know, password um, transmission to your PC with a VPN software. Now, Norton has a, has one. That would be the easiest one to use. I installed it while I was in Taiwan recently, um, and it worked great. So um, it's probably the best solution. Uh, Norton, uh, I'm trying to – Wi-Fi privacy, I think they call it. Norton Wi-Fi privacy. Um, you can buy it anywhere, and it covers five devices. So, um, you know, smartphones, uh, tablets, and – your um and and your computer so that's probably the easiest way to go uh, a, lot, a slightly um more complex but you know more robust solution is also just getting your own little uh, travel router awesome that's great rock and roll mate happy shopping and uh, where's the next trip to uh melbourne I'm, I'm based in tassie but i uh work for a company whose head office is in melbourne so i fly backwards and forwards backwards yeah right and forwards, okay so it's better than having to take I mean, the I, uh, the bass straight uh, every every time, mate. You know, at least you get to fly. <laughs> yeah, true, true. It's relatively quick, assuming there's not too much fog in Melbourne or, or, or Tassie. I can uh, generally get in on time. Well, you're living the life, mate. Tasmania's beautiful. Um, I was only there last end of last year. I look forward to going again, mate. We look forward to having you. Thanks, mate. Thanks for getting in touch. No worries. Cheers. Thank you. And if you've got a question like Andrew, just go to the website eftm.com.au. Thank you for listening. We do it all thanks to the good people at Trend Micro. Home network security is the product you need to protect your smartphone, tablet, gaming console, smart TVs, and other connected devices in your home from cyber threats. It will block malicious websites on devices, including gaming consoles and smart TVs. It will monitor or restrict the web usage of the internet for your kids. It will defend against network attacks. It will monitor network intrusion and notify you of any risk of cyber crime. And you can control all the usage of your network. Uh, and the security of your devices 
via a very simple mobile app. It is one box, one power cord, straight in Ethernet into your modem, and your network is connected and protected. A fantastic little product available now. It is the Trend Micro Home Network Security. Check it out uh, and just search Trend Micro Home Network Security. Talking technology without the jargon. Your, Your tech, tech life, life with Trevor Long. If you've got a question about technology, problem with technology, doesn't matter what it is, get in touch. Go to the website eftm.com.au. Jared did that. And that was a few weeks or maybe a month or two ago now, Jared. And you were asking about roaming advice. You've been overseas. I want to know how it went, mate. Oh, Trevor, it went very well for me. Um, you know, considering when I spoke to you before I went, I was very raw at the whole concept of what am I going to do when I go overseas, mm. uh, you know, with SIM cards and whatever else I needed to do. And you put me um, onto a travel card, a Vodafone travel card I eventually got. Um, and you weren't and a Vodafone also... customer, to be clear, were you? You were, you were not? So you went no, and got a, and... got a one-off, did you? I did, and I've got a monthly plan, so I theoretically should have stopped it last month, but mm. I find that now I've got two phones, which is like a bit over the top, <laughs> but I'm I'm actually using it, so for the next few months, I think I'll just keep it going. It's, oh, it's all worked out very well for me. And so was the process of getting it okay? Because I've got to be honest, I think when we spoke, I was like, you kind of need to be on the down low here because the whole idea isn't really to exploit their roaming as a non-regular customer. But you were able to get a month-to-month SIM card from them, uh, pay a, you know, um, what did you pay, 50 bucks a month, and then the $5 a day on top of that. That's exactly it. And what I did, I just went over to Chatswood to a, to a store there, and I went in and said what I thought I was after, and they knew exactly what I was after. And I think, from memory, they called it a red plan yep. or something to yeah, that effect. Yep. And they just took a few details. It was it was really simple. And then I ended up with the SIM card and I think I had the phone, the other phone with me and they just simply put it in there for me yep. and I was away. Um, when I got to Rome, it was interesting. There must have been a setting that I hadn't activated before I went or, or something that was beyond my understanding mm. that I ended up having to call Vodafone and they were very helpful to me and sorted my problems out on the phone and from that point on it was look I was one of the few people that had I was a conference that I went on a Mm. pharmacy conference and Mm. I was one of the few people who didn't have a problem connecting to the internet after that isn't that a great feeling I love it when and I travel with tech journos right and and this is hilarious Stephen Fennick who who I do a podcast with every week he and I both Vodafone customers and I've said a million times I stay a Vodafone customer purely because of their roaming and I travel a lot so we go to these tech conferences and all these other journos are with Telstra or Optus and they're worried about their 100 gig or their, ten, sorry, their 100 meg and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I'm just, you can tether off my phone if you want because it's all good. And so the yeah. countries you went to obviously had roaming with Vodafone. Yes, I think, look, we um, went to Rome and then we went to Tuscany and then we went on a cruise down uh, the coast. And so we went to quite a few different countries and some of them, didn't have access to the Vodafone, yeah. but look, it was minimal. And you, you got a message though. Whenever you were in a new area, you got a message saying, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't, don't roam here, or you know, be careful of the costs here. You get those text messages. Yes, look, what I did, I set it onto manual mm-hmm. um, rather than automatic because I didn't know what automatic meant. It might have meant that I could have got into trouble very quickly. Yep, yep. So I put it on manual. So when I was in a new area, I would then look for the signals that were available. And after a while, it just became 
very straightforward. And sometimes I couldn't connect, and well, that's okay. It couldn't connect. You know, the, the boat was off the hmm. coast, so you don't expect to necessarily get there. But uh, more often than not, it connected, and I became quite adept at it. And then uh, we went to Greece. My wife uh, was born on Kos, and she kept saying to me, "Look, you know, we're so close to Kos. Why don't we just go to there?" And so uh, for very little extra yeah. uh, fares and everything. We changed our flights and went to COS yeah. and it worked on COS and yeah, I carried two phones with me and I, like you said, I tethered my iPhone off the Samsung yeah. and it worked like a charm. Yeah, it worked really well. And there you go. And you've still got the phone. You've still got the phone. You're still paying the 50 bucks a month, Jerry. Yeah. Look, it's probably not what I should be doing, but it's um, worked for me yeah. and, uh, you know, and it was even fun getting the number. I was able to choose a phone number that really was easy for me to remember. It wasn't just some oblique, you know, yeah, random thing. Yeah. Twelve-digit number. It was. A, a, they said, "What would you like?" And I told them some numbers, and I got a, a really good number. So I was <laughs> happy with that too. So the whole thing worked out very well. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm glad you had a great trip. I hope the conference went well, and uh, well, I'm glad the advice worked, mate. Uh, it's always a worry <laughs> when I let them go and hope that they come back with uh, with a happy experience. Yeah, and I just wanted to let you know because I really appreciated the advice. Uh, I appreciate you getting in touch, Jared. Really, really do. And I uh, hope the next trip uh, is as successful. And until then, uh, good luck, mate. And thanks for getting in touch. Thanks, Trevor. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. Thank you for listening. If you've got a question about the, uh, the internet, your mobile phone, technology in your life, just give us a buzz. Go to the website, eftm.com.au. I'll get you on the show and I'll try and help you out as we have everyone else this week. Now, when it comes to broadband, it is a common question. It is a common topic. There is a lot going on in this space. And um, we could talk about it every every week. We certainly could. And I think internet speeds, internet uh, decisions, telco choice is a really important conversation to be having. Now, for those of you that um, have followed me o- online, you'll know I have regular arguments with the, um, the people like Laurie Patton and Internet Australia, who I don't believe represent Um, Australian users because they're just talking about things that average Australians really don't care about. So what we need to care about is which telco are we choosing? How do you choose them? And why are they different? And there's some stark realities out there, folks, which I'm only learning now and I want to educate you on. And most of it comes from a company called Aussie Broadband who are getting big raps online and they're being more transparent than I have ever imagined a company to be, let alone uh, a telco. Uh, and Phil Britt, the Managing Director of uh, Aussie Broadband, is on the line. G'day, Phil. G'day, Trevor. How are you going? Mate, really well. Now, well, I, for, for regular listeners and, and um, those that listen everywhere, I've, I've spoken to you on the radio show as well. I want to cover a lot of the same ground, but also some, some extra stuff. L- let's start off by talking about Aussie Broadband and its NBN offering. The, the point of difference that I see from you is a really close customer conversation. You're, you're deeply involved in you know, Whirlpool, where there's a lot of conversation about, um, about broadband and, and, and you're pushing and talking to your customers on Facebook. You seem to have a really almost one-to-one relationship with your customers. Is that part of your, your mantra? Yeah, it's certainly been a big part of the way we operated. I've always, I've been in the telco game about 20 years now and I've always really loved being directly involved with the customer and, and hearing what they've got to say. I quite often go to customers' premises if they're around a local area that we're in and that sort of thing if um, if they're frustrated. But um, yeah, the um, certainly having that direct conversation and being transparent is the key because no, no one wants to be fed a line. 
um, or, or told bullshit, as we say. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, and we just like to be straight up about it. So. I'll give you an example of that, folks. I was on the Aussie Broadband Facebook page this morning, and you had an outage yesterday in some of some areas, because obviously the country is full of uh, different places, different in, in points of internet, interconnect, which we'll talk about shortly. Um, and you had an outage, and you gave, like, almost hourly updates, not, you know, status restored, status still out. It was... It was almost minute by minute breakdowns of where it was, what was wrong and all these different things. And I felt even if I was an affected customer on my mobile network reading that, I'd be like, well, at least they're telling me. And that's, and that's been a big part. They, they like the feedback. Um, some of it, One of the probably the differences, a lot of technical staff get a bad rap because they don't like talking to customers and that. We've got a few technical staff that, that love interacting with customers. And mm. so because they're so close to what the issue is, they can get that feedback through and it's not getting sort of a marketing or, or a comms PR splash put over the top of yeah. it sort of thing. And look, I um, so I came across Aussie Broadband because one of the producers of the radio show signed up and I'd seen a lot of conversation online. So I think I mentioned Aussie Broadband on the Today Show as a you know a, a new name in in the space that people could consider, and I was then it was then drawn to my attention that you have this offer on Whirlpool where people can get a month free and try it out. And you know I'm I'm big on trying things. And Phil, I I got the inter, uh, the NBN connected uh, to maybe three weeks ago now, and I've said to my listeners I encourage them not to be on a contract. And and I thought well I can't sign a contract. I can't go. I got to be a man of my word. And so I signed. I connected with iPrimus, uh, and then I said to uh, your team, "Well, I'm absolutely happy to try it out." So I've signed up, and, and I think next week my my connection flicks over to you guys. But before I did that, I asked a very simple question via email to your team, and it was, "Riddle me this: Why choose Aussie Broadband? What's your point of difference?" Because obviously it's all well and good to to say it, but what is your point of difference? And I need to talk to you about these things, Phil, because they are quite amazing that you even have this concept it says here and you've, you've confirmed this to me before we stop connecting new customers to any poi which is for the average person listening it's like your your local nbn exchange um where we've reached 80 percent capacity and we we basically can't order more bandwidth immediately so you're monitoring the capacity of your network and if you, for some reason, can't make it bigger and people try and sign up, you just won't take their business? That's correct, yeah. Basically, effectively, we'll turn them away so that our existing customers don't, don't receive a degraded service. So it feels a bit weird there because I'm not sure other telcos are even monitoring their points of interest, points of interconnect, their NBN exchanges, to that detail. Do you think they are? Do you think the other telcos are monitoring the hundreds of of exchange locations on the same level that you are? Certainly doesn't seem that way from what we're seeing online, and, and certainly none of them have got this um, this eighty percent guarantee or anything like that. They uh, the the bigger players in particular just keep stacking in more customers because that's that's what they're doing at the moment. It's a customer grab with the NBN, and mm. they're they they've just got to get as many in as possible, and, and then play catch up to uh, make sure the network can actually support it. And the good old freeway analogy still absolutely applies, doesn't it? Um, that's what's happening here. The big telcos, and good good on them. They've, they've got a customer base. It's what they do. They're just signing people over to the NBN. Um, but they've got a four-lane freeway, and you might have a one-lane highway. Um, they've got a four-lane freeway, which is packed with hundreds and hundreds of customers, while your one-lane freeway might have 10 or 15. I'm using silly numbers here, right? But then yep. if you notice that your one-lane freeway is congested, you'll add a lane, whereas they may not be adding lanes at the same rate that you are because they're driven by different things like cost and, and uh, you know, they're a bureaucracy. So you're literally adding uh, space, capacity 
on demand. So if you notice at my suburb next week that things are a bit bit hectic at night, you will just add bandwidth? That's correct. That's exactly how it works, yep. And then if we can't add bandwidth, as we say, then um, then we'll stop accepting new customers on that, on that site. Oh, I, I breathe deeply because it is weirdly refreshing to hear, Phil, and, I, and I'm, that's why I want people to hear this story. And I, to be very clear, if another telco is operating this way, call me, tell me. Happy to talk about it. Happy to talk about it everywhere. But this is the first time I've heard it. And this is the first time I've seen people release stats. So um, you released a graph yesterday of one of your um, one of your bandwidth pipes, and it just showed the, the headroom, if you like, that was available for your consumers. Um, and basically, you can, you can do that at any point. You can say to people, no, no, there's no congestion in our network. Boom. It must be I, i.e. it could be your home. And secondly, it could be... Uh, it could well be the NBN itself. That's correct, yeah. Yep. And we're contemplating the idea of actually opening up those graphs totally so that anyone can look at them at any given point in time when they like to rather than just relying on us uh, releasing them. So let's talk a little bit more broadly about the NBN because I, I get overwhelmed whenever I comment on the NBN online because I'm a, I'm a supporter of the NBN. I, I'm, let me be clear. I wish it was fibre to the premise um, I, I, I would support that, but I understand why the nation didn't see the expense of a fibre to the premise as being a priority. Okay, I get it. It was voted out. It's done. Move on. We've, we've got what we've got, and we've got HFC. I'm lucky to have that. We've got fibre to the premise. We've got fibre to the node. We'll have fibre to the curb soon. We've got satellite and, and wireless, fixed wireless. Actually, putting aside wireless, fixed wireless and satellite because they are super rural and they're, they're very specific, although we'll cover it, what is your view on um, fibre to the node? Because it's getting a really bad rap in, in in a lot of commentary. But I actually speak to a lot of people who have it and think it's fine. It's better than ADSL was. Yeah, it's certainly a huge step up from ADSL. And, and look, the vast majority we're seeing sort of around about 70 plus percent of the customer base getting sort of that 60, 70 megabits or higher, which is a, a huge step up from DSL speeds. A lot of the time the issues tend to be rather than the, the actual copper in the street, it's actually internal cabling. And so if people do a little bit of work improving their cabling in the house, um, then they can see even even greater speeds than what they get straight straight out of the box. And is there also something to be said for, again, the telco transparency? So um, as I understand it, there are things called service qualifications where the NBN can do a really simple test that shows, you know, you're 800 metres from the node, they're getting this kind of speed rate. Isn't it true that the telco should say to you when you ring up and say, I want 100 slash 40, I want the 100 meg down and 40 meg up, they should surely say to you, just so you know, initial tests, but we haven't been in the house, but initial tests show you might only get 60 or 70. Shouldn't we be yeah, told that? They should absolutely disclose that. And certainly the approach we take is to, to air more on the side of caution, sort of suggest people look at the 25.5 or maybe the 50.20 as a starting point. And then once they're actually connected, we can we can go, okay, based on what we see, you can actually get those faster speeds or no, it's going to look more like what you're on now. So. But, but interestingly, and I, I remember this being raised at Senate Estimates because I'm nerdy enough to watch that. Um, the fact is, for someone like me, I want uploads. Like I make video and audio, I want to upload it fast. If you said to me, look, Trev, we can't get you 140, but we can get you 65.32, which is still bigger than, what is it, 50 slash 20? 50 20. So I can still get 10 more on the upload. If I'm willing to pay what your 100 slash 40 rate for 65.32, Surely, 
that's okay. It's my choice, though. Yeah, that's a choice, but we make sure you, you've got an informed choice by, by knowing that, okay, well, you're not going to get that, you're going to get that, and, and then you make a decision from there. So, Do you think the NBN should at least make some details available about that speed, that service qualification on their website? You know, you do an address search, it says you're available. Surely it should say, just so you know, um, you know, 50 is the most you're going to get and you might get a touch more. I mean, shouldn't they give some information on the public website? Yeah, I, th- I believe they should. There's the back-end systems that we have from NBN certainly give us that, that range of speeds, and so there's no reason they shouldn't be able to publish that on their public website. What um, um, about with regards to the technologies, just finally, obviously fibre to the curb is going to be a better solution than fibre to the node. Um, do you? How do you handle it when people you know, say to you that I don't want to sign up to fibre to the node, I just want fibre to the premise? Do you just say to them, I mean, what have you got now? And, and let's talk about the comparison. Isn't that the most relevant thing when it comes to the, the technology debate? Yeah, look, we have a we have a conversation with around that. There is a this technology choice program, but it's pretty poorly implemented where people can choose to go and, and pay some extra to um, actually go for fibre to the premises. But we're still yet to hear of anyone that's actually managed to do one of those and you've usually got to pay quite a few hundred dollars yeah. just to, to have NBN do an assessment. Again, Senate estimates. So I think they mentioned that the, the cheapest was a couple of thousand. The most expensive was something like 20,000. So, yeah, good yeah. luck. Um, it's, not, it's not not realistic for the average person. So. No. Phil, what's your view on the proposed broadband tax? Um, look, we're, we're a regional company and we're very big on making sure broadband for regional areas is supported, which I guess is part of the premises of the tax, but we're also quite against the way it's being, uh, being implemented because essentially um, a lot of that, that cost shifting is already built into the NBN pricing model. Mm. Um, so everyone pays the same, whether you're in a metro area or whether you're in a regional area. And so it seems almost like it's a double tax um, kind of thing. Will it apply to your customers in any way? It will, yeah. Because yeah. I understood so, it, it doesn't apply to NBN customers. It only applies to, let's say, for example, TPG, who are building their own network. Yeah, that's that's the case. There's some instances where we operate our own network. Okay. And so it might not apply to our NBN customer base, but uh, right. to our uh, alternate networks. So we have some other networks um, that we operate as well. Are so you big enough to, to lobby the government on that kind of stuff? Because that's one of the challenges, isn't it? To be big enough to actually have the time to be in Canberra. Yeah, it's it's not something we can do a, do a lot of. We're a, we're about the twenty five thousand customer mark, so we're in in we're total or for your your own service. That, that's in total. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my my gut feeling um, is that there will be a number put on it. So, uh, let's say twenty five thousand. That if you don't have that many customers, it won't apply to you. Um, or yeah. So, may, may, but that's that's the challenge for you as a small player, really, isn't it? Is having part of that conversation, having the time. Um, to be a lobbyist in, in this space. So a tough one for you. But uh, look, as long as you're doing your best with your existing customers, the word will spread. Is word of mouth your best marketing tool? Absolutely it is, yeah. No, all the all the good PR we've been getting on places like Whirlpool and that's certainly been making a, a big difference to our, our take-up numbers. Well, I hope that you hear it um, now. I hope you hear it regularly and I hope you continue to hear it, that what you do with transparency uh, your openness and your commitment to, to the, the bandwidth and the, the CVC um, uh, or the point of internet, interconnect bandwidth is is uh, more than honourable. It's it's outstanding uh, and hopefully your customers continue to tell you that. Uh, I look forward to con- continued transparency and I hope that other telcos follow suit um, just because it's good for consumers. And uh, I don't think it'll be the last time we chat, Phil. Good on you, mate.
No worries, appreciate that, Trevor. If you're a BlackBerry fan before, you'll be a BlackBerry fan again. The BlackBerry Key 1 is available for pre-order right now. All you've got to do is go to blackberrymobile.com.au. The Key 1 will be $899 outright Android phone in its purest form with a bunch of amazing BlackBerry software on it to keep it safe and secure. Uh, One touch uh, in an app will show you how secure your device is. Fingerprint sensor on the key on the space bar of the keyboard. All your regular regular BlackBerry short shortcuts on the keyboard, so you can program the G key to open up your Gmail. You can open up the F key to open up Facebook. Uh, it's a great device, and you know what I love? It's quite unique too. It's a beautiful design, but not like every other smartphone. They've done a great job on design, great job on performance, a great camera. It is an Android smartphone with a BlackBerry keyboard. It is the BlackBerry Key 1 available for pre-order right now. Um, available at JB Hi-Fi, but just go to the website, blackberrymobile.com.au. EFTM.com.au, the place to go if you've got a question about technology, problem with technology. G'day, Amanda. Hi, Trevor. What can I do for you? So my question is in regards to domain names and how you go about finding one, working out where to host one, all sorts of things attached with sort of setting up a website and things like that. Right. So you got a business? Uh, yeah, wanting just to for set you. one up um, in my own name at yep. the moment. Yep. I'm just kind of trying to navigate through um, all the searches come up with lots and lots of things that take you to lots of places that just want you to buy, buy, buy instead of actually trying to understand all yeah. about it. Right. Well, let me give you the hmm, simple guide to the internet, if you like. Yep. Um, uh, they are all separate things, and I think that's the most important thing to understand first and foremost. You can buy a domain name from one company. Uh, you can have website hosting at another, and you can have your email somewhere else. So you could buy a domain name from NetRegistry. You could host your website with Telstra, and you could have email with Google. All physically possible. Um, though it does require a bit of nous because they all want to kind of hook you into everything. So uh, uh, first and foremost, let's start from the, the back end and say Google's where I'm going to say to have your email, all right? So okay. Google, yep. Gmail is amazing. It's very easy. And they have a really cool uh, setup. I think they call it Google Apps now uh, or Google for Work, Workplace, Google Workplaces. And essentially, um, it just looks like Gmail to you. But when people email you, they have no idea you're using Google. They think it's a corporate ent- entity. So, you know, Amanda at Amanda's full name dot whatever um, uh-huh. is where we email. And you just get a Gmail. It's it's easy, very, very simple to use. You can use it on your phone, on every device like you always would with any other Gmail account. And a very yeah. easy to set up at the Google end. Um, you just need a little bit of um, uh, help or you run through some wizards with the people that are running your domain name. And that's what I mean okay. by you don't have to go with... So if you bought a domain name through GoDaddy, right? Very big international organization selling domain names. Um, you buy a domain name through them, you do not have to run your email through them, even though they will say to you, hey, for $5 a month, you can have email and da, 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 da. Um, you can run your website through them. But the one thing I want to teach you about is called DNS, which means d- domain name servers. And it sits in between okay. all of those things. So once you own a domain, it doesn't work. Once you have email hosting, it doesn't work. Once you have website hosting, it doesn't work until you have configured your, your new domain name on what is called the DNS. And basically the DNS is uh, like a, a, a traffic cop. And it's a way of saying, 
Well, if someone's trying to get to Amanda's website dot whatever it is, go here. And that, that'll send you over there to, to Telstra, who's hosting your website. And if someone sends an email to Amanda at Amanda whoever dot whatever, then it'll send it on to Google. So it's a, it's a traffic cop and it's a really useful tool that allows you to have this flexibility. So I'll tell you what I do. I, um, I buy my domain names now through GoDaddy just because it's, it's easy. <laughs> I mean, they, they have nailed the process of making this so, so easy and so, so simple. The only thing I hate about it is that they always are upselling you. So they always want you to add something else to your cart. Do you want this? Do you want that? Just, you know, work your way through the complexities of, of that buying process and you'll end up with just what you want, which is just the domain name. Okay. Um, yep. And once you've got domain name bought through um, GoDaddy, um, the, the configuration of DNS through GoDaddy is actually very, very good. They have little wizards that will step you through the getting it working on Google for your mail, for example. And in fact, when you set up your Google account for your mail, it'll actually say to you, if you've got GoDaddy hosting, here's how to do it. So they work together pretty well. Um, the website, how, how much traffic do you expect to get or do you expect it just to be a really simple page for people to find your address and phone number? Um, prob- probably a really simple page at this point in time. Then I'm going to say GoDaddy again. I mean, there are heaps yep. of web hosts out there um, and they're all, I don't use GoDaddy for my website, EFTM, um, because A, I want it to be local, B, I wanted real uh, complexity and, and person uh, a personalized approach. But I do have website hosting with GoDaddy for some of just smaller websites that I have, and it works fine, really easy, really simple to configure. And again, um, they know their stuff, they're very price competitive, and um, they'll get you going. As I said, the only thing to hate about it is they're always trying to upsell you something. So um, you, you should not need to pay more than kind of $15, $20 a month to have everything you need with the website, the domain name sorted, the DNS, and then you need to pay Google for the email, which might be $10 okay. a month. And you know what, Amanda? Hey, you've it's really helped make that simple. Easy. Enjoy it. <laughs> and it's so good when you've got your own email address, you know, that doesn't belong to an internet provider or someone like that. And the great thing is then you've got flexibility. Change phones, change computers, change internet providers, change anything. No one needs yeah. to know. You don't need to email all your friends and say, I've changed my email address. Mm, no, definitely. Definitely. All right, Amanda. Thanks so much. Good luck. You really made that incredibly simple. All right. Good one. Have a great day. Thanks, Trevor. If you've got a question like Amanda, jump on the website, eftm.com.au. Talking technology without the jargon. Your, Your tech, tech life with Trevor Long. Thank you for listening. Get in touch anytime if you've got a question about technology, problems with technology. Here to help if uh, if I can, uh, just go to the website, eftm.com.au. Now, uh, last week, uh, I got a call from 3RW that, that heard a story that speed cameras have been infected by a virus. And it turns out it was most likely the WannaCry ransomware virus that um, inflicted itself upon the world uh, about a month ago and went through the National Health Service in the UK and a bunch of other places. And I've got no doubt hundreds of thousands of everyday consumers around the world. So uh, what does it mean? And how are you staying protected? Are you taking this seriously? And I I honestly think a lot of people aren't. And that's why we turn to uh, Tim Falinski, the Senior Director of Consumer at Trend Micro, to I guess enlighten us, maybe scare us, and uh, keep us uh, on the right track when it comes to staying safe. G'day, Tim. Hi, Trevor. Mate, um, it is ransomware is a word that I still think we're getting used to. You know, virus, computer virus, we, we've trained ourselves to be aware of those things and, and ready for them. 
But I think ransomware is still something people think, yeah, not going to me, not going to be me. Yeah, well, I think uh, what people don't understand is, in a way, ransomware is a little bit like a virus. So the same way is that we can get a virus onto our computer, we can just as easily get ransomware onto our computer. And the hard part about ransomware is that there's no one really there to help you once you get it. So, you know, in the past couple of years, we saw a lot of uh, issues regarding identity theft. And the banks, because, you know, that affects them, have cracked down hard with security and made sure and helped us as individual consumers Hmm. make sure that we're secure. But with ransomware, when we get impacted by that, there's no one there standing beside us. And generally, we just cop everything ourselves and have to pick up the pieces. And I guess the challenge is that unless you've had a, a personal experience, and it might be your neighbour, it might be a friend, it might be a family member who've said, oh, no, you, you need to understand I've lost all my files or a business. And this is the bigger worry for me. As much as I, I fear for the for the individuals who lose photos and things, a business that loses accounting software, um, you know, data going back years that's going to actually in, infringe upon their business activities, there's a real risk that you could not only lose data but lose time and money over a very simple attack like ransomware Uh, definitely right and uh, what what we've seen in businesses is what WannaCry sort of pointed out is that what they did is they took a piece of ransomware which encrypts and locks all the files right we all know what ransomware does but it picked up a vulnerability in Microsoft which enabled it to spread through a network. Mm. So hence the reason we heard about the National Health Service in the UK because it got into one computer and from one it was able to spread throughout the network like a bushfire. Yeah. And the same things happened down in Victoria with the cameras. As soon as it infects one, because they're on a whole big network, it spreads across the network and goes through from there. And in this particular case, you know, you need to be on top of things like your patching with security yep. holes. But... You know, the National Health Service was able to get back up and running because they're a very large organisation and all they did was wind back for a few hours and, yep. and reinstall the backup. And they patch their computers patch- because that's the that's amazing that they weren't patched. I mean, that's that's the fundamental. Before we talk about the other things you can do in terms of your own software um, layer, staying up to date with software on your phone, on your devices, on your computer is not a fun thing about new features and different coloured fonts. This is about security. Correct. And and a lot of those patches coming out from Microsoft is not to do the basic stuff, but to help mm. protect you because the vulnerability is known and out there. And like Microsoft had a patch for this vulnerability yeah. out months in advance. Um, you know, we were aware of that and our software also protected against that vulnerability. So if you were running Trend Micro, when the WannaCry virus hit, it, we would have actually protected you against that. Yeah. And this is where, you know, it's so hard these days with so many people. I, I saw a recent survey or a bit of information mm. where to become a hacker costs you as little as $500 worth of investment. <laughs> you can download the tools off the internet for $500 and wow. just go and launch an attack. And it's therefore opened up so so many different people go out there and, and do that. And therefore, how do we stay vigilant and on top of what's going on where we can get attacked from so many different vectors at the same time? So there's a couple of levels of protection that um, everyone should have. Uh, I've been talking over the last uh, month or two about your home network security box, which is pretty unbelievable bit of security for the whole network. But let's just talk about the computer. Obviously, antivirus isn't really the the standard grade anymore. It's more about internet security. Internet security does a couple of things. It can actually see when things are coming at your computer, but also it can stop you clicking on things and going places you shouldn't. 
Yeah, so what what happens with internet security is it takes that security that you run just on your computer and takes it to the World Wide Web. Mm. So if we know of a bad website, um, there's one recently we picked up which was a scam website, which has been run in Australia. And what happens now is that if you're a Trend Micro user and you click on that link, we will block that website and warn you that you know, this is a scam website and you will lose money if you go here. Mm. So therefore, it gives that, that person that extra layer of warning. And how that happens is that we've we figured out what these people are up to because we're testing them. We look at the mm. scripts they're running. And therefore, it gives you that added level of protection. So you don't need to go, go and try and figure it out yourselves and, and, and see what happens and what goes on there. But the hardest part is that, you know, like if we look at ransomware again, and I keep mentioning ransomware because it's the number one way we're being attacked um, these days. There's been a 752% increase in the number of ransomware families that are out there. It's it's spreading and, and actually growing and changing and morphing faster than we can all keep up with it. And this is where it's very, very important that you have a bit of software that helps you know all the different ways that you go and get it done. And they're able to bypass certain types of security that we used to have because, you know, they'll send us a link saying, uh, you know, this time of the year is wonderful for the ATO, right? They'll send a link to download your latest ATO file here and you'll click and download it and therefore you'll get that bit of ransomware. So you, you need to be very, very vigilant on is that the way I normally communicate with people, if that's how I'll get. Because if the file comes in, it'll be benign and only when you click and run it on your computer will the virus actually launch. And, and I think this is the other thing. And again, I learned these things um, just through looking at your products and, and talking with you guys. You've got quite a unique um, software solution that is available to computers that actually monitors folders. It's called Folder Guard. So it can actually see ransomware, pr protect ransomware at the folder level. Yes, Trevor, we've added a, uh, an enhancement to our software called Folder Shield, which enables the user to actually protect a folder on their computer and all the subfolders under that. And what it does is it stops any random bit of software running or encrypting or do anything with the files that are in that folder without your express approval. Mm. So if you do so happen to get a bit of ransomware on your computer, be it from an email that came in or a file that someone uh, lent to you, and it said, okay, I want to start encrypting your hard drive, and it got to the folder with all your files in it, it would say, hey, I want to encrypt this file, which might be your family JPEGs or whatever. You just click deny and it won't get access to that. So even if it wipes out your computer, it won't wipe out your data, which is the one thing that you can't rebuild. Yeah. Like you can go to a technician and rebuild your Microsoft Office, uh, etc., but you can't rebuild your actual files. So therefore, we give that to enable you to protect what matters to you most. So even if it does get past all other layers of security, that final, final layer is there to protect you, to make sure that it actually doesn't get um, and, and encrypt those files that mean most to you. Because that's the thing, right? And let's just put that final kind of scaremongering on it, which is, it sounds like scaremongering, but believe me, folks, people are losing precious memories. Uh, so you might have a great folder there full of photos and oh, uh, Tim, I don't know, you've, you've probably heard horror stories, but I've heard people that have, you know, lost loved ones. And then, you know, months later had ransomware and it's, they've had a whole folder of photos of those loved ones that have just gone because ransomware took it. And 
folks, don't pay the ransom because that's no guarantee you're going to get your files back. The best thing you can be doing is thinking about it now. And do you know what, Tim? It, it is an investment. Um, people, and I often use the analogy, you don't drive a car without insurance. Why are you using a computer without insurance over your files and folders? So it's kind of, it's kind of a reminder to people that you've got to invest in this stuff, don't you? You definitely need to invest, and it's just getting that, that last layer of protection. Like, you know, we have thousands of security experts around the world who are constantly monitoring what's going on out there, and, you know, we, we're driving very, very hard to keep on top of that. Us as individuals, it's almost impossible to know when something does and doesn't happen. And when WannaCry outbreak happened recently, I think Australia was incredibly lucky by that because it, it broke out very late on a Friday night when most people weren't at work. And it enabled most organisations who hadn't done that patch to make sure that it was in place. So therefore, come Monday morning when people went back to work, therefore they were protected. Mm. But what it didn't protect against is all the small, all the small businesses that are out there who don't have a full-time IT person. Yeah. And this is where it comes down to. If you don't have a full-time IT person, the best way to actually protect yourself against all of this is to use that insurance policy of having a bit of internet security running on your computer. Simple advice uh, not to be ignored. Ransomware is real, uh, and unfortunately it can have catastrophic effects for a business and um, devastating effects for, for a family when it comes to your files and folders. Tim Falinski from Trend Micro. Thanks for your time, bud. Thanks, Trevor. Talking technology without the jargon. Your, your tech, tech life with Trevor Long. And the good people at Garmin have a great product called the Phoenix 5. Now, this is a beautiful smartwatch. Uh, it's slate grey with a black band available, $799. It's actually an amazing price for a multi-sport GPS watch with fitness, adventure, and style. This is a premium multi-sport GPS watch. It's got their Elevate wrist heart rate technology. It's fit for adventure with a rugged design that features a stainless steel bezel buttons and a rear case. Um, it puts all your key stats at your fingertips um, with a performance widget that shows the effect and progress of your workouts and a bunch of connected features, of course. Uh, automatic uploads to Garmin Connect so you can keep in track with your mates as well as yourself. Um, it is an unbelievably great product. It is more than a smartwatch. It is a beautiful, beautiful watch. Uh, stylish, but fantastic. Well worth a look. Check it out at Garmin.com.au. Proud sponsors of Your Tech Life. Well, I've talked a lot about the NBN on this show, and um, I'm happy to keep talking about it because there's so much education required about what the NBN is and how it comes to you and the questions you need to ask of your telco. But one of the things that we need to be mindful of are the issues around the NBN, and one of them is speed. And there's some real problems with this because it's really hard to manage. It's hard to monitor. It's hard for users to report. I get a lot of calls from people saying, speed's terrible, and then you have a conversation, and they're actually not checking it correctly or they've actually not signed up to the right plan. But in terms of keeping the telcos honest, in terms of keeping the NBN honest, the government is doing something about it. And uh, they've called upon the ACCC and they've funded the ACCC to provide uh, a checking mechanism. They're going to continually and, uh, and, and monitor the, uh, the NBN speeds of some several thousand homes and they're calling for volunteers. They want you to be one of those people helping them out with those speed checks and the chairman of the ACCC, Rod Sims, is on the line. G'day, Rod. G'day, Trevor. Mate, thanks for joining me. Now, um, 
Let's keep it simple here. What is the ACCC's task here in terms of these speed checks? It's to monitor people who are uh, on the NBN uh, and check just what speed they are actually getting, particularly in the periods where there's most contention. That mm. is when you're you're struggling to get the speed because a lot of other people on the line as well. So to to try and monitor, particularly at the the most congested times, and see and let people know what speeds are actually being achieved. Let people know whether any deficiencies are NBN's problem mm -hmm. on the one hand, or because your retail service provider hasn't actually acquired enough capacity off NBN, and those things are important to differentiate. Absolutely. We spoke to uh, um, Phil Britt from Aussie Broadband recently, and, and he's very big on monitoring his own connections and trying to provide bandwidth to customers and really trying to get the message out that the telcos are all different, and I think this is what's going to come out here. Will you be reporting to the public on each telco saying that, you know, this telco is is, is at this percentage of their, their required or, or, or advertised speeds during peak hour and those kind of things? How will you de demonstrate right. the speeds? Yes, we'll be trying to do that by telco and by uh, particular speed plans. Mm -hmm. uh, so, obviously, um, there's uh, it's important to do it by speed plans yep. because... Uh, you want to know what people are getting versus what they they, asked they, for. they, they signed up for, what yeah. they're paying for. How will it work? Uh, and again, pardon my ignorance around the NBN in this area, but as I understand it, uh, there's hundreds of um, what they call points of interconnect. And in fact, one telco could be great in one suburb, but not in another. Is that a risk to uh, uh, a statistical research like this? We don't think so at this stage. We'll keep an eye on that. Um, our understanding uh, from the data we've looked at, and we get quite a lot of data off NBN, is that uh, the retail service providers have a pretty common approach around the country. Mm -hmm. um, but that's certainly something we'll be monitoring to see whether there's a difference between metro areas, rural areas, and indeed between cities. But uh, our current understanding is there. That the policies they're following are fairly uniform. So it kind of reminds me of the old, um, in politics, the old Democrat slogan, which I won't repeat here, but let's just say keeping them honest. So that's essentially what you're, you're going to be doing here because if a, a big telco um, is, is selling a, a plan that's 50 in speed and it's on average only able to deliver 45 and in peak times it's dropping down to 20 and then there's another telco, big or small, selling the same speed but getting higher averages, that's allowing people to make choice, and that's, in the end, what you're about. That's right. There's two things we're about. That's absolutely one, where consumers can look at information that compares one telco with another, and that will inform which one they go with, because obviously they've, yep. they may have to pay different amounts of money, and they might, and this will help them understand whether, for those different amounts of money, they get a, a better or slower speed. But secondly, as we started, also where you get these continuing debates about whether low speeds are NBN's problem yeah. because the, the, their, their system's no good or whether it's the RSP's problem for not acquiring enough capacity. And so there's really two big advantages of this. Now, what what is the call that you're making now? Because obviously this is not in place yet. You need to be in people's households. And, um, you know, I relate this to the TV ratings boxes. You know, there's thousands of little boxes in people's lounge rooms which – 
somehow relate to us what everyone's watching when MasterChef is big and when the Married at First Sight is big and those kind of things. So you're literally needing to put a little box inside the home of thousands of people so that you can monitor their speed. And you need a, you need a good spread of people, don't you? You don't want 2,000 people on one telco. Um, you need a spread of people, locations, and all different speed plans too, don't you? That's right. We're, we're aiming to get... Uh you're exactly right. So we need a spread of people. So to get 2,000 people signed up, we judge we probably need about 8,000 people to put their hand up. And at the moment, we're halfway there. We've got about 4,000. So we certainly need more people to put their hand up so we can then make sure that we've got that, that spread yep. and make sure, therefore, what we're coming out with is statistically accurate. And is there anything required of the people? Is because oh, And I don't want to um, put down the people who've already put their name down, but I'm guessing a lot of early adopters and a lot of um, you know techies have put their name down going, I'm happy to have the box. But I would, I would argue we need a few average people who uh, happen to be on the lowest plan or you know don't, didn't really choose a telco. They're just happy with their NBN or they're using the NBN. So you need a lot of people, don't you? Is there, what is the requirement of someone who volunteers? Very little. We'll send them out a box. They whack that, connect that to the modem. It doesn't affect uh, them in any other way, really. Mm. Uh, uh, certainly doesn't affect their, their usage, doesn't affect their, their data download. Mm. Um, obviously, they'll, they're, they'll, they'll be anonymous. Uh, so really, it's just that uh, uh, the, the bother of sticking your hand up and, and attaching the box. But now, that, that's about it. And just, you're absolutely right. We want those people that we want the sort of people you're describing yeah. to, to, to come forward. Just on a technicality, and I'm curious, um, if the box is plugged into my modem um, and, you know, during peak hour, it's obviously doing some tests, how does it take into account the fact that I've got four kids streaming 4K Netflix in the home already and therefore utilising bandwidth on that connection? It will, as I understand it, Trevor, mm. and uh, you're probably testing my knowledge. No, I, 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 sorry, I didn't, I didn't intend to. Collectively no. <laughs> can be achieved. No, no, I, I, it's a very good question, um, but it, it will just, I mean, if you've got a lot of people on, yep. that's obviously putting a greater uh, demand on your service. Mm, mm. And as I understand it, it will uh, see whether you're, just what your service is yep. actually providing with all those aggregate users, right. if that makes sense. Yep, no, makes makes perfect sense. So what we're asking of people is is the, there's no imposition on them. It's not going to slow them down. There's no reason not to do it other than a misunderstanding or, or a concern over it. So really all people have got to do is, and I've just gone to the ACCC website, accc.gov.au, and on the front page um, there's in fact a, a line that says monitoring broadband performance. If you go to that link, um, you can read all about the program, a bunch of other information there, and lots of it, as well as um, sign up to uh, uh, take part because essentially that's what you want. We want we want to encourage people to apply to be a testing volunteer for the ACCC. That's right, and I think if they do, they'll be helping out their fellow Australians uh, as well as themselves, obviously, and just having much better information out there. So it's really, Trevor, as you're implying, a bit of a community service. So we'd really really hoping that people do uh, do respond to this and, and thank you very much for, for giving it that, uh, that that attention. Yep, and I encourage everyone to do it. Very easy to do. It's just a, a simple form you fill out. There's no guarantee that when you do fill the format, you will be selected because as Rod has explained, there are there, there is a, a spread of, of speed plans, telcos and different things they want to try and cover. And just finally, Rod, and again, I don't want to test your knowledge here, but there's a lot of internet providers, um, you know, up to 100 in some places. 
where do you draw the line on which ones you're able to monitor slash report? Because, you know, obviously the bulk of customers are going to be in a smaller number of them, but how do you create the advantage or disadvantage for the, the spread of RSPs or telcos? Look, that's a very good question, Trevor, and something we've wrestled with. Obviously, we're aware that the top four uh, account for the vast bulk of consumers, but obviously also we want to go well beyond that top four, so we're not uh, uh, giving implicit advantage no, to those right. four. So, look, our current thinking, Trevor, which could change is we may pick up about 10 internet service providers. Mm -hmm. That's not the one number you mentioned, but I think once you get beyond ten, they tail off a fair bit. Yeah, and I think so once we think, we it's think probably we'll the, the vast it's bulk. probably the case, Rod, that um, for when you start dipping into those you know twenties and thirties of telcos, you could actually get a very good sense of them based on current user feedback um, because their network is is pretty robust based on the small number of users they have. Whereas with a large yes. telco, you actually can't take one or two people's word on Whirlpool for how the service performs. And that's what the ACCC is trying to obtain here is some statistical and ongoing data that will report uh, monthly. Will it be, Rod? Uh, that's not to be, that, that's okay. to be determined, Trevor. That, that may well be the case. We're certainly aiming to get our first report out towards the end of the year and then we'd be bringing them out fairly regularly. So, look, that's a reasonable presumption, but we yeah. haven't quite settled on that yet. All right. Well, the program is uh, is calling for applicants now and you can be part of it. ACCC.gov.au, uh, just click on the uh, broadband monitoring program and apply to be a tester. Rod Sims, Chairman of the ACCC, thank you for your time. No, thanks for your interest, Trevor. Good on you. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. Thank you for listening. If you've got a question about technology, a problem with technology, doesn't matter what it is, get to the website, eftm.com.au, and ask your question. I'll get you on the show and we'll have a chat. G'day, Penny. Hi, how are you, Trevor? Very well, Penny, very well. What can I do for you? Um, look, I'm just um, wondering or inquiring, um, for people who rent um, and uh, transient because mm. they rent, um, I'm looking for a really suitable um, a security um, some security devices yep. um, just to help, you know, deter people. And, you know, I have looked at different websites and seen that you've got window alarms and all sorts of other things. But mm. is there any, anything else that I could use that would be um, a deterrent to people breaking in or...? When you say deterrent, I mean, so my thing is there's a couple of great products which I use at home uh, and I get the point about renting, but I'm thinking about them now and going... The cameras that I use and the doorbell that I use, for example, um, basically there's no there's no reason why I can't just take them with me. Um, the cameras right. are, are just kind of you know sat on a wall and they can be you know all all it takes is one screw to put them in and hang them up. There, there's no wires need to be run or anything like that. And the same with the doorbell. Um, I think you're right about window. Um, I guess alerts and alarms and, and those kind of things because they require some form of installation, but. If you're looking for a deterrent, um, then, you know, lights that turn on and, and signs that say you're being recorded are a deterrent. If you're looking for uh, what you might call risk management, um, then cameras are, are a great solution. So at my house, you know, when you walk up my driveway, the light comes on. <laughs> Obviously, you know, those kind of sensor lights. But, you know, a, a good thief isn't going to be deterred by a sensor life. So uh, a sensor light. Um, but when anyone comes near my home, either after 11 o'clock at night or when I'm not near home, uh, that's recorded. So at the very least, I've got them on camera. Uh, and if I am home, I, I can get a notification of it. If I'm not home, 
you know, I might be able to ring home or ring the neighbour. So it kind of depends, Penny, because, you know, there's not much you can do to deter a thief, is there? No, no, but yeah, I, I guess what I was meaning was was any devices, the portable devices that can, um, you know, well, not not only deter yep. but stop. I, I've read that there's window alarms that are run by battery, and that if there's any motion detected um, with regards to windows being shaken or sh- yep. trying to, you know, pull them out or whatever, the alarm goes off. Yep. So that there's portable ones like that that. So, yeah, like a good idea. So the the, um, the yeah. thing I would recommend to you, Penny, is 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 the Arlo camera solution. Now, it's spelled A R L O. Um, you can the great thing about it is you can buy one, or you can buy four. But once you bought one, you you can just add one at a time as the budget comes available. For example, so yeah, and yeah. the new version, the Arlo Pro, has an alarm. So in my office here. Do you know what I'll do? I'm, this is going to kill my ears, but I'm going to do it for you while I'm recording. Um, in my office is the little base station, kind of like a Wi-Fi router. It sits next to your, your Wi-Fi network. And um, and whenever motion is detected, um, it, it can set off an alarm. Now, I don't use it um, a, a lot, but the alarm sounds a bit like this. Hang on, I'm just going to say yes to turning on the siren. And it should turn on. Oh, can you hear that? Oh, that's very high pitched, isn't it? Yeah, and that's that's pretty close to me. Um, so you know, you can put that in the family room, and any time motion is detected. So what you could do is um, put a camera pointing at your front door, for example, or the front of the house. And the, and the camera can be outside, by the way. I've got a camera on my telegraph pole pointing at the house because it doesn't. There's no wires yeah. required, right? You can put it in a tree. Um, and when it detects motion between, and you can set all this up, so say after midnight, before 6am, any motion, set off the alarm. And uh, bingo, off goes the alarm. Plus it records the video, uploads it to the cloud, and, you know, Bob's your uncle. What, so, about, what about pets? Um, so that they have pet-sensitive uh, settings. So basically you can, you can set the sensitivity level. So, I mean, obviously if you've got a big dog, um, I wouldn't put the, the camera, you know, near, the, near where the big dog sits or, or, or plays. But, you know, the front of the house where you probably don't have the dog running around randomly in the middle of the night, it's okay. If you want to put them indoors, then, you know, you would have to check and play with the sensitivity levels. But in terms of uh, criminal prevention, putting them at the front door pointing outside um, is is a pretty good thing. And, you know, you're going to have hits and misses. I had mine recording every bloody thing for, for a day. And I ended up, you know, changing the sensitivity, changing the setting so that it wasn't recording every car driving past. It was only yeah, recording yeah. people coming close. So but I'm, I just want to be clear. I don't think there's any, you know, gold-class solution here um, to to security in terms of devices. But I think the Arlo's yeah. are a great, great suggestion anyway. Sounds like a plan. All right. Good luck, Penny. Thank you so much for your help, Trevor. You've been marvellous. Good on you. And if you've got a question like Penny, just go to the website, eftm.com.au. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. See, I told you I had a lot to get through. Um, cracker show, big show, lots to talk about. Um, very, I mean, I am really interested in your feedback regarding Aussie broadband. Um, if you're using them, let me know. If you're willing to switch, let me know. I'm going to switch next week um, and see how they go. And to be honest, they may be the last one I try because if they're good, if I get consistent speeds, I'm not going to shop around forever. I'm going to try and sign up to a contract. Um, I'm not made of money, you know, but if they're not consistent in speed, I'll keep trying until I find one that is. 
Um, really fascinating stuff. Um, interested in your thoughts on ransomware as well? Just go to the website, eftm.com.au. Send me anything you want. Uh, and you can always tweet me at Trevor Long and um, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Trevor Long, facebook.com forward slash EFTM online. Sign up to the ACCC uh, broadband monitoring program, folks. If you're on the NBN, sign up because they need to be monitoring multiple uh, different demographics uh, in terms of the ISPs and speeds and things. So really useful that you sign up. If you're on the NBN, sign up and let me know that you have so that we can uh, get some encouragement to the ACCC that that's happening. Uh, appreciate them talking to us today. Uh, appreciate you listening. Appreciate you downloading. Please support um, the sponsors that support me and your tech life, uh, Trend Micro, Garmin and BlackBerry. Let's do it all again real soon. 